Hello and welcome to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. I'm Jenny Stevenson, your host, and joining me, as always, is Dr. Peter Bernstein. Today we continue in our series on how to survive through adversity. Dr. Bernstein, or Peter, as he likes to be called, is a coach and mentor with 49 years of experience helping people survive and grow through trauma, struggles, and hard times, the stuff of real life. The goal of our series is to help you discover what we've experienced, that adversity is more than a trial to endure. It can be an exciting opportunity to learn, grow, and thrive. Absolutely. Hi, everybody. 49 years sounds like a long time, but it's actually... You know what really gets me? It's really closer to 50. When's your anniversary? September. September. You're at 49 and a half then. I know. And you know something? It doesn't feel... Like, but yes, it does. It feels like it's been a long stretch. <laughs> in some ways, yes. In some ways, no. No, but we keep doing new things. We keep growing and changing and finding part, points of emphasis that we uh, just keep expanding. Yes. yes. In fact, we're going to we're going to update our book. Because we've, we've learned so much and done so much more since we wrote that. I was thinking it's been, I think, almost 10 years wow, since really? we published it. And, and there are some things that are classic in there that we wouldn't change. No. And there are other things that could use some updating and some new material that new we'd material. like to put in. Especially okay. on the caregiving part of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, a lot. And, and I, yeah, I think we've refined our work and expanded it a lot. It seems to be a calling, you know, and we respond to the calling. And that's 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 our um, that's how we want to approach what we do, not as something kind of frozen in place, but as something that that grows and uh, changes, and we grow and change with it. Absolutely, whatever we do. So I'm pleased with that. I'm really proud of that. It's a hard thing to do sometimes. I'll say that. And it's not easy. It comes with a lot of struggles and uh, pain. Yeah. and difficulty, but we seem to meet it and get through it. Like everybody else, we feel it. Yes. And we have to deal with it, and we get through it, and we learn a lot doing that. We learn, boy, are we human. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we learn. We're Again, very, we learn. We're very human. Boy, all those years of education went really far. When it comes down to it, it's like I'm as human as anybody. Yeah. And it gives me a deeper connection with my fellow man, and that part of it, to me, that fulfill that's very fulfilling to me. That means so much to me, yeah. and I like it that way. But it sure does come with a lot of ch difficult challenges. That's why it's called growing pains. Oh, yes, and I can't say I love the pain, but I can say I love the outcome. That I do, because yeah. I always see new opportunities, new hope. I don't know. It's, it seems to be a very expansive thing to go through, but in the middle of it, it feels terrible. And uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit today. In fact, how the body, we've talked about it before in other episodes, but we do pay a, a lot of attention to the body. Yes. And, we've, you know, part of my PhD training was, uh, was in that, a big part of it. But we've learned so much more since. Um, Eddie myofascial release, cranial sacral, and other things. So we've, we've, but we do know how important the body is in uh, our reading what's happening. Um, and not to ignore um, what we're feeling physically. We like to keep putting out the message because we we still meet many people who don't really see or understand this, that, that our life struggles, difficulties, challenges um, are not just things that we experience pain in our 
in our head, in our in our self, in our mind, it translates into our body. Well, as our well. body's the reservoir of everything we go through. But I'll tell you, for me, and particularly one person who's very kinesthetic and physical, I feel it, and it doesn't feel great. But I know what it. Usually, I know what it is. I know what needs to be done. But doesn't mean I can always make it corrected that quickly. But I know what I'm looking at, and. Um, I've had some interesting experiences lately because I hurt my hip on one of my horses when I was uh, getting him ready. Uh, and he didn't do anything that bad, but it tore some uh, labile tissue around my right pelvic bone. And uh, it, it, it just phew, tore painfully so. And uh, it's caused a lot of problems in the last year and a half. Usually I heal very quickly. And I've had a lot of injuries with sports events all my life. And especially the kind of riding I do with cutting horses. But I'll tell you what, this one doesn't heal. It's not healing so quickly. And interestingly, I do get, a, I have to get work on it. I have to get work done. I need help with it. And um, the last time I got help with it from, his name is Boris Vellner. He's a wonderful body we worker. We love Boris. Yeah, I think. Very Boris effective a, and a very sweet man. So good man. Yeah. But um, when he was working on it, I could feel the, 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 the fascial tissue the connective tissue begin to release because it's very tight. And I'll be darned. Instantly, the the ambiguous grief that I'm dealing with with my wife came flying out. Not that I broke down with him because he's not set up for the emotion like we are. Right. But it was I'm amazed that it's very hard to separate the body and the mind. When you're going through something, they go together. And I'm still, after all of these years amazed when I see the connection and how direct it is. Um, it also shows me how people get sick from stress and how their bodies just eventually break down. And I think we were gonna, you were going to talk about that today or you want to talk about it, right? I did, and I wanted to, before I do that, I wanted to say that um, it's been a, a few months ago, I think, that Kelly Barling uh, was a guest on our podcast. She's one of uh, the caregivers. And other things. Uh, among for. other things. And she is very much a layperson uh, in our office. And we go to Kelly because when we start talking about things that we've known about uh, in the practice for many years, she's the one who says, wait a minute, that's not that language may not be clear to everybody out there listening. Mm -hmm. And she, But one thing that she felt was important it was to um, kind of uh, illuminate, uh, express the body-mind connection. And you just mentioned it right now, the yeah. body-mind connection. And I remember uh, Steve, our producer, saying that the episode where we were talking about the body-mind connection was popular. More people were listening to that. So today we are going to talk about that a little bit more. Mm -hmm. um, the and what and you mentioned another term, ambiguous grief, that we may need to return to. Um, but when we're talking about body mind connection, we're talking about how we are whole people, and when uh, we are affected in one way or another, it is across the spectrum. Some injuries are more physical. Some injuries are more emotional. Uh, but there's always a spectrum, and we feel it in different ways. And that was... Right, so, okay, we're, we're going to have a conversation. Where are you going with this? <laughs> Tell me, because I'm like, I'm listening. It's very interesting stuff. She, in Staff Binnington, I'm listening to her. I was saying this, she knows a lot. 
I just wow. I, I'm listening. Oh, you were talking about that part. No, well, I just no. Where, you, um, where were we going with this? With you what said, you were just saying. You said I had something to bring up, and so that was that was what I was. Bringing so where up. do you want to go with this? I'll, I mean, I'll go with it, but t tell me what you're pointing to and direction. Um, well, do you I have think, anything specific in mind? I think that we were going to connect that the body mind connection with? and the pain that you feel. Uh, with ambiguous grief well, or loss, okay, okay. with the uh, topic that we've been on for the last few podcasts on relationships, um, we had talked about that this morning. The trauma and the effects of and caregivers and first responders and caregivers in relationship with the person they're caring for yeah. in a loving relationship, and how that can translate into ambiguous loss and grief, and that then can be felt in them not only emotionally but physically in pain and uh, all of the burdens that can come. Okay, those are two, a little separate. One is the people that are the caregivers and first responders and how they absorb the trauma, the energy and the pain within themselves Right. and how that carries over into their personal lives and affects their relationships. Yes. And then the other is those that are those who are caregiving for their loved ones, and how that affects them, and uh, that's it's it's a little different. Um, I can attest to that. So they're a little different. They are. They are okay, different. Okay. And where were you gonna? Where'd you want to go with that? Which way? Which direction? I was kind of offering it up. Offer it up again. So I, where? Go ahead. I'm listening. I want to make sure I follow this thing. Well, I think you just summarized it very well. I just wanted to know what direction you would like to take. Um, I think the other thing, if I'm just going to throw everything on the table, uh, we also wanted to mention a new Facebook series. That's what is... Okay, thank you. Because I think that pulls it all together, We're dialing it? it in. Yeah, that's yeah. really what yeah. comes to mind yeah. for me. Okay. And this series is uh, being written by another caregiver who has been a guest, Haloa Levy. And she's... She works at the institute. She's a caregiver. She's helps design our clinic, our clinical, our training programs. And she, you know, you know what else? And went on her spare time. She, what she really likes to do is she's a chef. She is so good that um, you think she's working at it, but she loves doing it. So we have the best food on Hello's spare time. And she, you think she'd be leaving? She just goes out and goes to the kitchen and starts whipping up some incredible food. And uh, just before I left today, mm -hmm. I knew that I had kitchen? to rush because I wanted to go to the gym and come here. I was late. She had just whipped up something else. It was so... I could not believe... I had to have a taste of it. It's her uh, Camarones cocktail. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's better than any... Classic. Any better... And I, we have a lot of good Mexican restaurants in our town. Hers is the best. I love it. Anyway, and she does a beautiful job of flowers, but... Hello has written um, some posts lately that I feel are a reflection of the kind of re community for trauma recovery and empathy that we are. Um, and uh, she wrote a beautiful, uh, her first post was just beautiful, talking about, she's 80 years old. Go take a look at her picture and you tell me if this lady looks 80 years old. She doesn't. She looks like a movie star, and she looks probably 20 years younger than she actually is. 
she's actually coming into her really she coming is. into her top yeah. of her game now she is. really remarkable we know her a long time she's a, such a good woman and now she's she's really coming out in some beautiful ways and anyway she wrote some posts uh, uh put it on her blog no on her website the facebook yeah yeah and um she wrote her first one was talking about herself and her own development and growth and she's talking about how much she's had to go through in order to become who she is today and um she did a beautiful job on it her second posting though is so touching and i think this and i keep saying to myself this is where you rise up above competition there is no competition because you're coming into your own more and you're just reflecting who you are and what you've be what you're becoming through the work through your spiritual life through everything and hello is writing is is reflecting she has that. really grown as a writer she has yeah and she wrote today she wrote this latest blog uh for friday i think and it was beautifully done and uh she talked about what kind of person she used to be how about if we wait and get into this after oh, our are break? we on a break yeah i'm 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 yanking the cord here again sorry yeah well we got a good story on that let's save it for <clears throat> for a okay. moment you've been listening to the survivor's guide to life on kpca petaluma 103.3 fm we'll be back after a short break Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. I think today Peter and I are sort of circling around the topic and, and starting to kind of hone in on it. That's what it feels like, doesn't it? It does, and I don't know that I want to take the time to kind of review all of the different things we threw out because I want to say, go, let's just go back to where we ended, which is to introduce, we're introducing a new series of posts on our Facebook page by Hello Alivi. A uh, wonderful woman. One of our key people, no question about it. Um, I tell you, she's a good cook. Well, she's also a lot more than that. But the way she wrote her first post was very revealing uh, about the changes that she's gone through. And here she posts this beautiful picture of herself, and she says she's and she's 80 years old, and she says that's no insignificant number um, because so much has happened for her to become where she is today. A beautiful job on our first one but it's the second one that i was really really touched by um and we spoke about it today early in a staff meeting and she was talking about what she's gone through and what kind of person she was to what she has become today it wouldn't be that flattering if you read it if you didn't read it correctly but hers is written so well and it's hard to miss what she was talking about but she was talking about a thing called ambiguous grief and ambiguous loss. Um, and I'm going through that because my wife is so ill and we're taking care of her. Actually, everybody in our institute and more people take care of Lynn. She's got some of them, oh, just people are angels. They're wonderful to her. She deserves it. She's an incredible woman. But I, what I, what, it, hello just adores Lynn. She does great work at the Institute, and she's a great cook. But she was talking about the kind of person she used to be. And uh, she was quite transparent 
about the kind of person she was. And I remember it's about 30 years ago that her mother was dying of cancer. And um, Hello talks about what kind of person she used to be and the kind of grudges she held against her mother for the kind of upbringing. That, uh, and it was a very troubled, destructive upbringing, and there's no denying that. Uh, yeah. um, but there was a time that it came for Haloa to respond to the current crisis. And her mother was asking her to come and s to see her, even was, help be a caregiver. Yeah. And Haloa was still so stubbornly self-involved and holding grudges, she just almost wouldn't go until I really, I forced the issue, you've got to go. I remember that, and she reminded me of that. Um, but for a long time, I could not get through to her that she's got to let go of that and deal with things as they are now. And um, in her, and she was also a very self-centered lady. I mean, when she was younger, she was absolutely gorgeous. Not that she's not beautiful now. But I think she was very narcissistic, very self-centered woman. I think some of her upbringing also reinforced that. Yeah. But, um, and she talks about that a little she bit. She does talk about that. But you know what was really amazing? She, she has such regret and remorse about not, not being there as a caregiver for her mom when her mom was so ill. She regrets it to this day. She carries that wound. And not in a way that she's hemorrhaging with it, but that um, it's there, and she doesn't hide it. But she's talking about what she's become now, and that is selfless, caring, and giving, and loving. And who does she, she, she could do it with more than one person, but she really spends a lot of her time taking care of my wife, Lynn. She loves Lynn. And um, you would never know that Hello had the kind of, was the kind of person she used to be because she is just so, she's got such a, a, a decency and a character and an integrity in her love. It's so sincere and so good and also very competent. We just, we just adore her, you can't help it. Um, but she talks about when she thinks about her mom, how it brings tears to her eyes, she's still, she, she feels so regretful that she couldn't have done this for her own mother. But it was interesting and she talks about ambiguous grief that here she is helping Lynn and she's grieving as she's helping Lynn and all, as we all are talk about here's Lynn she's still with us um, we have our ups and downs every day sometimes every hour with her yet um, she's not dead she's not dead and buried and gone and yet we are each of us in our own way are grieving deeply about her moving further and further away from us and closer and closer to the end of her life. Very, very painful thing to watch. The other part of that, too, is that we watch her l losing ability to really connect with yeah. us. That, that is a, a, tr a real loss in the present. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she's intuitively got a little sweet presence, but, yeah, she doesn't talk much. And, but Haloa talks about having this ambiguous grief. She talks about our dog who works at our institute, Benny, that he's grieving, and it's absolutely true. He stays yeah. very close. Yeah. Usually he stays close to anyone that comes in who's more wounded. Um, he's a very, very good working dog. But she talks about it so beautifully. And if you looked at it and just went that far, you'd go, God, this is, that wasn't very nice what she did with her mother, and, yet, and she admits that. But what she was saying is something that we've come to know 
about struggles and pain and regret and remorse, how that can be used later and become something for useful for good. And Haloa has done that. Mm-hmm. And the sweetness of it is she has such an empathy, such a compassion in her communication with folks that want to run away. And they do. Many times we've had it my family, we've had it, I've had other caregivers that I know just mentioned, Mimi mentioned it to me. Mimi, Mimi has happened Elizabeth. for Mimi as well in her and family. She takes on, she's a caregiver too, it takes yeah. on an awful lot. Yeah. It's very hard to kind of be empathetic to these folks when they do it. It's also hard to get through to them because instead of their wanting to help, they run and all of a sudden they find a million excuses not to be involved and they abandon their loved ones. I've seen it many, many times. Haloa says she was one of them and she's telling the truth. But she also has now, because of the changes she's gone through and the experience and wisdom she has, of realizing it, it's become some kind of a, a calling on her life with such a deep compassion um, for those that are caught up in this very painful reaction of running away. And um, she talks about, I love this, she has a way of communicating with them because she's been there to try to get through to them, to let go of their stubborn attitudes of grudges and whatever they do to run and turn them around and turn them the other way. Hello is one of the best communicators I know about that. And she speaks from her heart. She speaks from her experiences. And so what she did and she has such regret for is now used for good. And that's one of the things that we have learned with struggle, pain, and even the things that are very negative can be turned and be used for good eventually. And Hello is a perfect example. Here she is, one of the best caregivers we've ever seen. So selfless, so loving. She's a great communicator to others who she who we know are holding their grudges and their stubborn attitudes. If there's if there's anybody who can get through to them, it's Haloa. Although we find it's it's quite challenging, but she does, and she can communicate in such a deep under with such deep understanding and compassion. So what we are what as Haloa writes about these things, she's using herself as an example, but she's not bleeding into it, into what she's writing. She's not you know, overflowing with her pain and regrets. It's not that. She's using it to for a, a greater wisdom, a greater calling. And she sees that there's people that need her support because of, she understands it. So she does a beautiful job. I'd like, folks, take a look at the Facebook uh, site. It's either on, it's on all of our sites, is it? Oh uh, well, I know it's on the Bernstein Institute Facebook page. It's on, is it on this too? Is it on? Oh, there'll be a super on the video. A, a super. I, so yes, if uh, if you're watching this on video, uh, Steve, our producer is going to put an overlay of how to how to get to her post. And if you're listening, go to our YouTube page and pull up the video, and you'll be able to see it. Yes, we're going to have her on more regularly as she does these posts because they're so relevant to what we're talking about. Um, she is truly an empathic person now. Um, she gives of herself so much, and her life isn't easy today, her personal life, and yet you'd never know it because she can cope so well and deal with it so well. She's a very fulfilled woman at this point in her life, and it shows. 
But we we do talk about this thing about absorbing the energy of, of, of giving so much. We talk about the toll that that takes. Yes. Um, we talk about how it affects relationships. We've talked about how it affects the body. And I think that, that we've been th- talking about that in different episodes a number of times. We pay a lot of attention to that because when you give to someone who they really can't give back. I mean, they're disabled, they're sick, they're an emer- uh, if you're a first responder, they've been through crises and emergencies. You're the one giving everything to them. Well, the truth is that could be very fulfilling, but you're also with people who are in great stress. And we, as empaths, absorb their energy. It's pretty hard not to. And after a while, it affects us, and it affects our bodies, and it begins to have a cumulative effect. We have been working very hard to help people um, that are doing this kind of work to not burn out. And what that means is when they have accumulated so much of this energy and so much of the distress that they begin to resent the work and not want to do it anymore because they didn't know how to deal with it. They didn't know how to deal with the body. They didn't know how to um, get rid of the pain they were carrying. And a lot of times they're not even aware of it until it's taken a real toll on their lives at work, their personal lives, and their own, their own health and well-being as well and mental health. So we are doing everything we can to make them more aware and awakened to, hey, you got to let go of this pride, this independence, and you got to be open to the effects of this very difficult work that you do and realize your, your chances of creating destructive situations for yourself, are chances are pretty high if you don't know how to deal with it. That's where we come in. Because we feel that paying attention to the body, paying attention to the emotions that you're absorbing and that you're around, and seeing what that feels like in your own body and the signals that it's giving you um, are very important to know how to address and deal with. If you don't, um, it begins to take a toll on your health and well-being, and eventually you won't want to do the work anymore. That's a burnout. You may be one of those very valuable people that won't do it anymore. So, our, and this includes nurses and doctors, by the way, and counselors, first responders, caregivers. We all, have, most of us have the same kind of empathic hearts. But we're trying to wake you up to understand your body, understand how different emotional states that you're in because of what you've been doing are affecting you physically. And that's your indicator of and giving you a reading on what's going on and what you need to deal with. Now, how to deal with it is another story. And let's get into that in a little bit. First, you've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. Mm -hmm. In our last segment, we talked about um, two things. Uh, Mm -hmm. We spent uh, uh, most of our time talking about Haloa and her new series of posts on Facebook and her experience uh, of coming through her reluctance, her grudge, her inability to come to um, her mother's 
aid at the end of her mother's life mm. to go down and help care for her mm -hmm. and how Haloa has turned that around and used, grown through, learned, worked through the pain around that and now uses that empathy, that compassion, that calling to help Lynn to speak to others who uh, are having trouble meeting that challenge of caring for a loved one and would rather run and she has grown and is very effective, has a, a, a marvelous voice. The second thing we got into and we want to return to is again our theme uh, that we, we do talk about quite often but because it's needed, um, the effect of emotions on the body and the emotions around um, stress, uh, trauma uh, for caregivers, for first responders, right. and how uh, the, the difficult, painful emotions through those experiences can find, unfortunately, a home in our body in particular patterns that can be individual, that can be recognized. I would, I do, I would like to suggest that we back up just for a moment, because I know we talk about this often. What's that? But in, in just plain language, how is it that emotions get trapped and stored in our body? What is it that's going on there? Do we want to go through that again a little bit? Well, it, we, we, there really is, uh, get a little bit more specific about what emotions and how they affect the body and, and how, we can become, how we can get to read it. We're not talking about, you see, one of the things that we have is in, we're born with is a normal intuitive feeling state. And that helps us uh, read situations. It helps us know when we're in danger. It helps us to know when we're safe. And it, it helps us... Uh, as, uh, with our cognitive abilities to evaluate situations. That's, that's a feeling state. That's called a felt state, and everybody has that. Emotional states are different, though. That's where there's been an overload of this, these feelings from very different, difficult situations, traumatic situations that are so overpowering. Um, that that's different. You're not really in a normal feeling state anymore. You're carrying a high charge of energy and intensity around some of these emotions. Um, and this doesn't mean you're not good at your job. That to have had an overload of emotions build up in you as a first responder, a caregiver, does not mean you're not doing your job. No, in well. fact, in here, and we've taught this before and we've talked about it, there's a time that we've taught people how to cope with these very overpowering situations like Navy SEALs that we've helped and Marines and uh, first responders, caregivers. The reason that we talk about it so much is that you got to know you're going to ha have to deal with situations sometimes that are so difficult and so critical that you can't just stay open and be wide open and vulnerable. And, and you have to push what we call a pause button or the off button in certain situations. And what that really means is you, you've got to put your armor up. You've got to have a situation where you have got to take care of the situation at hand, and that's very important, very demanding. There's a lot of emotion to it, probably, too many times the ones that we're talking about, but you can't get into that at that point. The only thing you can do is the action that's called for, and you have to respond. We call that pushing the pause button or pushing the off button. So the off button in certain situations is absolutely appropriate, but you are absorbing the energy and the emotion of the situation for sure, and it's definitely affecting you. Okay, so we talk about 
pushing the pause button instead, which is a better thing to do, which is reading the situation for what it is, putting a pause on our own emotional reactivity, dealing with the situation as it demands and is called for, but later on making sure that we are taking care of ourselves again, self-care, and reading what the, these experiences have, are, how they're affecting us. I'll give you a perfect example, and we've used this analogy before. When you see a, this is the way our brains work, that's very similar to any other very primitive animal. When you see a deer in a field and they're just eating the grass and just very calm and it's a very serene animal. And their energy is very low and calm. Their eyes are soft and they're just relaxed. Wonderful thing to witness until they intuitively may get a reading that there's a predator coming. And all of a sudden, the hair in their neck goes up, their eyes bulge out, and they get ready to either run or they'll freeze. But they know they're in trouble and it's dangerous imminent. And that's the time when they are pushing the... Well, they're not pushing the pause button. That's the off button. They, gotta, they have to flee. The stress response is in full... Is it full... It's being called for fully. And at that time, the energy that goes into that is the energy of having to survive, to run. If they're caught, they're going, there's mechanisms that actually shut them off so they don't feel the pain of being torn apart by a predator. But the interesting part of it is there's many times where the predator will go away. And what, we've, what we, you'll see is that the deer will, if the hair's, on the, the hair's up on their neck and their eyes are bulging, the energy that it's taken to be in that state, the cortisol levels, everything's really raised, they'll begin to shake, and they'll shake off the energy. And you'll begin to see, as they do it, the hair on their neck begins to soften down, their eyes soften, and then they realize intuitively that they're safe, and they go back to a different kind of regulation in the nervous system, and they go back to feeding and being calm and relaxed again. They don't sit there thinking about it like we do because they don't have a prefrontal cortex. We do. But that energy and that, that fight or flight stress response at the, or freeze response, we have it too. The exact same kind of mechanism in our own brain. So what we're talking about is the energy that goes into these different responses has to be respond, taken care of later. We would call it the deer puts a pause button, pause button and off button, but later on, they deal with it. They shake off the energy. They, their systems come back to a more relaxed state. We have to learn to do that too. Now, as first responders or trauma workers, caregivers, uh, you name it, we are facing very difficult situations, really. And where people, the one thing that we all share in this particular kind of work is we have a soft heart. We care about people. And even though first responders are a tougher variety, they deal with more emergencies and difficult situations, they have the same heart as a caregiver who's taking care of someone who's sick and dying. Loving, caring for their fellow man, and having great heart, forgiving. Um, so you know that no matter who we are and what our facade looks like inside, we're all caregivers and we all absorb, tend to be more sensitive and absorb more of this energy and, and uh I've seen for I've been with first responders, paramedics, and EMTs. 
I've seen how they work. They're amazing. Nurses, one of my very close friends, Big Steve's a nurse. And what I see is when they're in action, they're incredible. I've also seen in the midst of it sometimes when the situation has kind of settled down, how some of them, these tough people, they seem to be tough, will have tears in their eyes and how upset they are and touched. So they may look like they're tough, but underneath they have a heart the same as the caregivers at the side of it at the side of someone who's dying and sick. So um, we look at all of that and we go, okay, these folks need to learn. They need to know that as long as they're these type of folks in these very difficult situations, they're absorbing energy. And they're going to have to deal with that later. Now, we've seen a lot of them find different ways to deal with that distress that they're carrying. It can be drinking and drugs, difficult relationships, running. We've seen so many different things. Car uh, First responders, we've seen their culture, can be big drinkers, big drug takers. Those uh, kind of, of ways of dealing with it are more avoidance or more an effort to control and, and keep under wraps what's going on yes. inside. And they will say, well, I, you know, I don't want to put this on my loved ones. Really, what they're really saying is they don't want to have to face it themselves and feel it and get through it. They don't know how. Right. Our, our calling has been to show them how to release these latent energies that they've been holding and get restored and find their resilience again um it's quite a challenge we seem to pick the heavies we took the navy seals we deal with first responders we've dealt with police and we've dealt with a lot of situations but what, what i do see is um particularly with first responders they're warriors mm -hmm. and they have a warrior's heart but i'll tell you what um because of that it's very hard for them to let down Yes. And it's very hard for their culture, the team culture, to be safe enough to let down and show that kind of emotional upset. And how do how people need to, we have to, we do, we train teams on how to become a safe place to be able to let down and let some of that stuff. You were saying a moment ago that in times pride and a desire to be for independence uh, gets in the way. Um, that's part of that culture. It's called, a stig it's called stigma, and yes. And also that they want to be regarded as competent mm -hmm. and that they can be depended upon. Yeah. Well, there's a culture we saw in the military, we see it with first responders, that there is something to that. Um, people look at them askance if they begin to get too emotional, they begin to let down. We have friends that were treated like pariahs that were uh, homicide detectives after years became... Like PTS. PTS. Yeah. We call it post-traumatic stress injury. We don't call it a disorder. And we've seen that they all instead of their being embraced and supported, people are afraid they're going to catch the disease and all of a sudden they treat these people like they're carrying a terrible uh, infectious disease. Mm -hmm. I've seen it with first responders plenty. Yeah. And they're good people. I've seen it in the nursing world. I've seen it in the doctors. And the medical f field has got angels, and it's also got people who are just f up in their heads. They, they're trained to stay very removed. They're not very nurturing, loving people. And the truth is, the kind of people they're dealing with many times need the nurturing and loving. So we know this happens. Uh, we see it. We know how to help these folks begin to pay attention to how their bodies are being affected by what they're dealing with and how to discharge that energy, how to di discharge that built up, pent up emotion they've absorbed or felt, and how to come back to themselves and be more resilient. 
I've been one of those people for a long time in the sense of I've not been a runner. What I've been is you show me an emergency or difficulty, I'm right there. And um, I engage. So, you know, I know what that looks, I know what that feels like. At the time, I don't even have to think. I just take care of the situation uh, as it presents itself. There's just something in me that does that. But I'll tell you what, the after effects, I do feel them. And um, I know how to get rid of them. And, and I think we're kind of come up to another break. We are. We are. Let's do that now. Yeah. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. Um, in our last segment, Peter got more specific, more, uh, more description, uh, helpful description on how an uh, overload of emotions that are picked up in uh, uh, difficult situations, traumatic situations by first responders, law enforcement, military caregivers, how that translates into pain, distress, um, uh, in the body, and how that then can affect uh, relationships, it can affect job performance, mm -hmm. unless you know what to do to help alleviate and resolve some of that charge. Right, and we alluded earlier that um, when you deal with this, when you have to come to grips with this stuff, no one's saying it feels good. We're saying it's a temporary transitional state to confront, to discharge, not to avoid or transcend. Um, but to get through it so you can come through the other side, there's always hope. And it, in fact, when you get through it, you always feel so much better. Even though you go right back to difficult situations, you feel so much clearer because your emotions don't distort your perspective. It's not burdening you like you were burdened when you're carrying them. And you can just go on and engage. It's called resilience. Um, and you can think more clearly mm -hmm. and address the situations as, as they're presented to you. I, I, you know, everybody's different, but one of the things that uh, in my training, my PhD a long time ago in clinical psych and a uh, certain kind of body work, uh, it's called Reiki psychotherapy at that time. I, we've got far beyond that at this point. Um, we call it trauma recovery, and basically we don't do just Reiki and psychotherapy anymore. Um, we aren't doing that at all. No, actually. and that's part of what we do, but that's not psychotherapy. I'd say we also have included some physical therapy techniques uh, called myofascial, cranial sacral. Um, we've done a lot of things to incorporate to, uh, for trauma recovery. Right, body-oriented principles and, and applications. That's right, and then the mentoring we do and the life coaching to get yeah. them. Uh, absolutely, we do yeah. that. Um, and we've accomplished, I'm amazed at how much we've accomplished over the years. No one's saying it's easy, but we're dealing with situations that aren't easy, and the effects of it aren't easy either. But what's amazing is how you can come out of it and actually begin to use it for good, like Haloa is doing, yes. and like she's done. We all do it. We take care of our own at our, at our institute. We make sure all of our people um, are, are, are taken care of, the, the caregiving teams have meetings, 
Uh, we always make sure that if anybody has been overloaded or triggered by some of the work they're doing, we want to find out about it and see what we can do to get them on a better, get them cleared up or get them through it. They get a lot of support, but we don't neglect them. And we make sure the quality of our support is what they need to keep them resilient, growing, and purposeful and effective. So far, so good. We're doing very, very well. Um, we don't. We know that's not the model for that's what's going on out there. Our turnover rate is almost nothing, and yet we hear turnover rate for caregivers at agencies is eighty percent. That's what we've heard. And we hear for care for first responders. The divorce rate is 80%. 70 or 80%. 70 or 80%. And the rates of cancer are high compared to the public. And Their lifespan is shorter, 15 years shorter than the norm. Something like that, yeah. No, I mean, and I know good friends of mine who are first responders or have been dealing with cancer. Their personal lives have been very shaky. So, so, you know, we've seen that there's, this isn't made up. This is for real. Yeah. God bless you. And I, I, Our producer sneezes. So he's I sneezing. I just have a just a thought came to me is in the what Haloa wrote. She was reaching out to people who have um, uh, struggled, run away from caring for a loved one in a very difficult situation. We would love to be able to reach out with a message to first responders uh, and have not had always the greatest success in uh, stressing how important it is to face and go through some of these very difficult things to prolong their effectiveness and their resilience. What gets in the way uh, for first responders, law enforcement, military, what gets in the way, and we talked about this a little bit, of them hearing the message that you're giving right now? Well, my experience with first responders is there is a certain insulation for the culture of first responders. They don't even know that they're caregivers, and they have the same heart as a caregiver and a, a person, you know, in a, in a hospital or in or at home that's taking care of a loved one or taking care of someone who's very sick, very similar, but their their armoring, their facade that protects them, is much stronger, and it's more bravado and pride and arrogance and insulation. Unfortunately, that kind of is is wearing thin. Um, I know that there's even been new uh, new uh, not laws, but new f- new funding for new programs. We've seen it with the Marines too, where they're going to initiate mental health programs to make sure everyone takes care of themselves. And I know that um, Steve and I went to, we were dealing with military, it was Marines mostly. And uh, I think one of the generals, one of the commanding generals for the, he was on the, uh, anyway, he was, he was a big deal. And uh, he was talking about the new programs we're putting in place to make sure our soldiers are taking care of for post-traumatic stress disorder. And, and I'm listening to it. Sounds good, you know. It's better than what it used to be. Yeah, but we've been dealing with Marines. We were dealing with Navy SEALs. And we didn't think it was going so well. We didn't know about this new program. And I talked to him. I'll never forget. We talked later. Steve was there, too. We were talking. To, and he says, oh, Navy SEALs are different. This doesn't work for them. And I'm thinking, I know it doesn't work for them. It's They need it, mm-hmm. and so do Marines. But the reason it doesn't work is they have that facade, that bravado, that strong sense of purpose and discipline and pride, and the stigma that goes with it that, uh, that if they're vulnerable under certain 
they'll be considered unreliable. Their, their, um, their security clearances, they'll lose them. That was true with the SEALs. That they won't be able to pull it together and be reliable team members. Um, that they're going to be considered weak. number of things. And we've shown them that that's, that's in their head. It's not the case. If you know how to deal with this, it's the opposite. You become very de dependable, very reliable, very resilient. Um, and we know that's true. Uh, but it's hard to get through these 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 armorings, these attitudes. And Sometimes I know they say to us, you can't understand what we've been through if you not, haven't been a first responder. Uh, right. Or, or a SEAL. Or a SEAL. That's, or a Marine. I think some parts of that are true. But I have friends that I grew up with. I went in the Army. They all became Marines. I didn't go overseas. Almost all of them did. They still act like that. We still have that. And we've known each other since we've been kids on the streets of New Jersey. So I know how they, I know about this. Um, I, 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 I think there's a, some validity to it, but after a point, not at all. And um, that you don't have to just, well, if you had to be there to understand then. If you're gonna, you couldn't possibly understand. That is not true. In dealing with this, there's an element of that, but after a point, that just doesn't matter anymore. What really matters is what's deeply go what's going on deeply within the individual. How how wounded they feel and what kind of pain they're in and how it's distressing them and they're the, you know how it's, they're disturbing and distra uh, undermining their own life and their own happiness. That's what we re you really have to get to. And if there's been physical problems and health problems, you don't have to just be a marine or a navy seal or a first responder. You got to be able to be a person that's recognized that the the work is taking a toll on your health. Um, so, I, you know, I'm a, a, <laughs> a big believer in it. I've been like that myself for years. I remember having some real attitude problems with my work years ago. I took on a heavy duty type of counseling and therapy work many years ago that most people wouldn't take on because it was so hard on the practitioners. This is, I've been doing it now almost, well, that particular thing, 45 years. And interestingly, I did learn that I have to deal with it. And I did learn, I can't, I've had to come to grips with a sense of vulnerability, a sense of being weak at times, being broken, feeling my pain, feeling that I can't always succeed and do, do what needs to be done, or I don't know what to do. Some situations, there are no answers. They're just so overwhelming. For me, that's a very hard thing to accept. It's, it's agony, because I want to do something to help. And so do most of these first responders. So do the SEALs. I don't know about all of them, the ones we know are. They have big hearts, and they want to, they mm -hmm. do. Under yes. terrible conditions, they do have a heart. Um, uh, my friends who are Marines, absolutely the same thing. So I know that, and yet I know others don't have anything like that. So we realize it's a mixed So many bag. of them are there to serve. They're there to serve the people that they're there to help. They're there to serve the country. They want to make a difference in people's lives. Absolutely. And that's the people we're responding to. The other ones, we understand they're not part, they don't want to be part of this. They're going to do destructive things. They're going to be, they're going to cause pain and hurt to other people. And a lot of times we can't get through to them. And frankly, there's so many others that we do get through to and do do good work with that takes enough of our energy the folks that don't want to do it that's their we can't we don't waste our time that's a lot of energy that gets wasted at times because they're just going to attack us undermine us and um, 
find ways to make us wrong. So, you know, I don't, at this point in my life, live and be well, they can do whatever they want. I want to deal with the people who really want the help and who, who, uh, who are really sincere and who have been in maybe some desperate situations in their own lives and they're broken and they're ready for help. And I Those think, are the ones who help. And I think one of the things you've discovered in your career, and boy, we're almost out of time, so I don't even know whether to bring this up. But I just, let oh, me, just, can I just throw it out there? Yeah. One of the things that you've discovered, and I have seen all through what your work has been, is that in many ways, the trauma, the wounding uh, that someone experiences doesn't, it, being able to heal from it, to do the work to heal from it, looks about the same. The way that we go, you, they go through uh, having to work through the, the being go, hyper alert. That go from that place where they discharge that negative energy, they come to a more sustained, normal, decompressed place. They have a chance to have some coaching and mentoring. Uh, they become more aware of their patterns and their past, and they work through it. So much of that looks very similar no matter what kind of trauma someone's gone through. Right. If you're looking forward, if you're looking at getting better, the way to do it has much more to do with how you do it than where you started from the thing that you went through all those years ago. What's that last part mean? The last part means that there's hope no matter what you've experienced. There is hope. You can heal from trauma. Absolutely. And nobody's sitting here saying, we know better than you, and we sit on some kind of throne looking down on you. The message is we all have to go through the same kind of things and feel the same kind of things to find that resilience. Right up until last night, I can speak from all these years taking care of my wife, doing some, a number of things happening to me. It's very, very difficult. And yet, I know how to deal with it. I know I can accept a certain part of the reaction to it and what I have to do to clear myself so I can go on. And that's what happened. Woke up this morning, I was ready to go. And I was excited about the new possibilities for today. And yet last night was living hell and it had to be taken care of. And my reactions felt that way too. I just know I've been there so many times that I can get through it. I know what I have to do. I know it's going to feel terrible and upsetting. And that I'm not giving so much credibility to the emotional state. I just know I got to feel it, discharge it, and let my body come back to a more normal state and more relaxed state, my nervous system, everything. I know how to do it. I feel like anyone else does though. Caregivers, first responders, um, anybody on the front lines, we all are impacted. That's the message we want to convey. No one is immune. And anyone who pretends to be that's all they're doing. They're pretending. They're either fooling themselves or others. So we want to make sure that we put out a positive, hopeful message that this is doable. We know it. We've helped thousands of people do this, including ourselves. So we know this is a very important thing. We want to help people who are out there on the front lines. We want to help loved ones who are going through very difficult times, caregivers, um, beloveds of someone who's very sick, um, warriors, first responders, they, we, and caregivers, I feel that we all have the same kind of heart. We're empathic type people. The only difference is the facade that we put up to protect ourselves varies. Yes, that's I true. have the strong man model, 
And uh, I've grown up that way, but other people have other ways of doing it. We'll continue with this. Uh, we always want to offer hope. The Survivor's Guide to Life is made possible through a grant from Sonoma Coast Trauma Treatment, a 501c3 public charity that relies entirely on donations from people like you. If our podcast has benefited you, please consider giving to www.sctraumatreatment.org. Uh, we would love to hear your feedback. Uh, we are on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, we have a and YouTube, and we have a website, which is thesurvivorsguidetolife.com. Any way you can get hold of us and ask us any questions, give us any feedback, we would love it. We are at 707-781-3335 or Jenny at BernsteinInstitute.com. Thank you Peter's for listening. Peter's Instagram page. Oh, Peter's Instagram page. Peter's Instagram page. That's yes, a new one. he's having fun with this. I enjoy that. We're Go find out nice what he's doing. Yeah. And I'll find out how to do it better next time. <laughs> We're working on it. It's a good one. Anyway, all our best to everyone. I hope this is a hopeful, encouraging message today. Don't lose hope, no matter how hard it is. Hang in there.